0: The millennial Way, a podcast made for the on the go millennial, giving you tips and advice on how to up level your career, teaching you the things they don't teach you in school. When they ask why, just tell them it's the Millennial Way. Here's your host, Chase Coleman. Y'all. welcome back to another episode of the millennial way and oh my lord if you've been keeping up with the NCAA tournament does March not equal madness I mean this is <laughs> I can't keep talking about this this is my favorite month of the year you know what put that aside I've been having so much fun just watching these guys go out and compete day in and day out and fighting for their lives essentially I mean if you watch that Duke UCF game you could just feel the emotion I, and that's why I love this complete tournament. Like, it just puts everything into perspective from a, an athletic and competition standpoint. I, I, I could go on for days about March Madness. So, keep up with the dang tournament. My birthday is this Sunday. I turn 25. I can't believe that I am actually turning 25. I feel like I'm old. And what's funny is you you talk to the people at work who are all much older than I am, and they all always go oh my lord, Like you're so young, you're so young, you're so young, and you just don't, I remember my 20s, but you know what, I'm going to enjoy this birthday, I get to see my father for the first time in a long time, we get to have some one-on-one time, we're headed down to San Antonio to go watch the Spurs play, and then actually retire Manu Ginobili's jersey, and if you guys are a basketball fan, then you know how significant this is, especially for a Spurs fan, so I am super excited for that, but... I'm really excited to dive into this episode. We have a good friend of mine and a former college teammate. Now, he may not be playing in the NFL, but Brock Turner is one hell of a dude. He and I played against each other, quite frankly. He played offense, I played defense, so we had a battle every single day. But when it came down to Saturdays, we were buddies, we were friends. When it came to outside of practice, we had to be able to join together because, well, shoot, we were teammates. So I got Brock on the show today. Brock is one Hell of a damn car guru, y'all. This guy, I mean, I told you guys that we're going to switch it up and talk a little bit about car buying and things that they also don't teach you in school. So Brock is going to actually help us understand car buying a little bit more and all the ins and outs and all the nuances of car buying. So I think I've ranted enough for you guys, and it's time to get Brock on the show. Brock, again, thank you so much for joining us today, and guys, like I mentioned, Brock was a teammate of mine in college while we played together at Stetson University. We used to compete every day going at it in practice and then every Saturday we used to compete together going to get it going at it against competition and you know we were hoping to whoop some people's asses but unfortunately it didn't really happen while at our time at Stetson but I'll tell you guys this. I've been able to to create a great relationship with Brock from our friendship through Stetson and continuing to have that on throughout this time period in our adulthood and quite frankly Brock is someone who I have a lot of questions for when it comes to millennial car buying because I'm in the market today, I'm about to buy a car, I'm like you know thirty days away from it, and quite frankly, I'm as not as prepared as I need to be so Brock, thank you again for joining us today.
1: yeah, no problem. Hey, remember we were five and seven man, that was the best record until this year so don't don't downplay us that much.
0: <laughs> You're right, I'll cut that part out um. But hey, like you're right. We went five and seven. We won a lot of good games. Um, we had a blast while we were doing it too. So yeah, that, that was a fun. Oh, yeah, that, that was, was a fun
1: year. Fun.
0: It was a yeah. it was a blast. And like now seeing Donald in the NFL and all the great things that you're doing, man. I mean, first off, like I follow you on Twitter, as you know. Like we we go back and forth on Twitter sometimes, and you you continue to talk about cars all the time and what to do when it comes to buying cars and all these things. So I would love to understand kind of like what it is that you do now, what your goals are and kind of like what your passions are, especially around like, you know, what got you interested in cars and like being, being super passionate about that as well.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, really, I kind of got born into the car business. So that's, that's kind of the, the funny thing, I kind of tried to run away from it for a really long time, but uh, both my parents—that's uh, actually how they met. Uh, they're both uh, longtime car industry folks, so uh, oh, I kind of wow. just—it's in—it's in the blood, I guess. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, did
0: your parents—they owned a dealership, or how did how exactly did they meet in a car in a car business?
1: No. So, uh, my dad and my mom both worked for. Uh, Southeast Toyota, which is the distributor side, uh, and now okay. my dad actually works for JMA Group, which does a lot of uh, warranties and and uh, you know back F and I uh, products.
0: Okay, that's awesome. That's sweet. And what do you want to do in cars? Like I know that we had we had chatted a little bit before, and you had mentioned that like the goal is to maybe own a car dealership or be a CEO of you know uh, Porsche. I'm making that up, but. We'd
1: love to know what your goals
0: are, like your well, end goal.
1: Well, yeah. Well, I'm definitely Toyota, Toyota in my blood through and through. I'm, I'm a hard, <laughs> hardcore Toyota guy, so it would be hard okay. to pull me away from that. But, um, yeah, I mean, the dealership life is definitely, you know, it's it's a it's a twenty four it's a forty eight hour day. You know, I'm kind of stretching it there, but it's literally like a forty eight hour day job if you were to own a dealership. So um, there's always that side. There's the retail side, but you know I, I enjoy I enjoy the the corporate side and and just trying to help. Like my main goal is is I've seen all different angles from this buying process and, and yeah. I really want to be a part of the the change that's coming with with the buying process of a car. Um, it's definitely okay. going to more of a consumer centric you know process and that that's what excites me and being a part of that change. So whether it's on a vendor side, you know, you know, maybe becoming the president of Southeast Toyota one day and helping out with, That'd be great. you know, changing the industry, you know, those are goals, you know, you never know what could happen.
0: Absolutely. And you say that like the industry is changing to become more consumer-centric. Would you say
1: that like what what makes
0: you say that and and can you also kind of like talk a little bit more about how it's becoming more consumer-centric, right? Like as you're seeing this change, what are you seeing that dealers and and vendors and the corporations are doing now to make it more more consumer-centric
1: so for the longest time there you know there was the the mistrust that was built up from the car you know the dealerships you know you know screwing people over for a lack of better term and and nowadays with the internet um, consumers are becoming you know so much more uh, educated when it comes to the buying process so it's becoming more where the buyer doesn't want to come and sit at a dealership for six hours. It sucks. It's definitely not ideal. So that's the consumer. And and especially in the millennials, you know, they want, you know, we're so used to instant, you know, instant things these days. And, and the longer the process, the more you become uninterested. And that's why these, you know, these off com and the, you know the carbonas that they're they're popping up, and they're you know they're yeah. becoming a you know what people are liking to do, um, and the thing that the you know the manufacturers need to grasp is how can they take these concepts and you know move them over to the new new car section because there's no there's no yeah. instant new car buying thing yet.
0: I find that really interesting I find that really really interesting because. Like I mentioned, like I'm, I'm in the, the market for buying a car right now. And quite frankly, like Carvana and um, – I mean, I like CarMax because they have a really good app. But, like, Carvana has been really sticking out to me because, one, they have really good prices, quite frankly. And I believe it's probably because they don't really have a showroom, right? Their showroom is online. And it's kind of cool to have a car delivered to you. And they give you this, like, warranty where it's like you get to try it out for seven days and you can get your money back to return it. And all those things like that. So to your point, it's like these dealerships need to really catch up with a Carvana in terms of technology, right, to become more consumer-centric. But what are your thoughts on buying a car online and, and kind of putting that trust in a dealer like Carvana?
1: Well, I mean, there's always going to be the, you know, the, the trouble and the, you know, the startup, you know, stuff that's going on. Like a lot of the problems with, I mean, and, and Carvana's kind of seeing it right now as well as similar to off lease when off lease first came out it was this awesome you know i got i would buy you know you'd go and you'd buy a car that just came off of a lease and you get this amazing price on a car with low mileage because it was a lease turn in and then a yeah. year later you know they found out that they were selling frame damaged cars with you know different you know not showing the carfax and that's when carfax got all big and and now with carvana you know too is They're 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 getting in trouble a little bit with some of their tactics right now with you know um, they're doing some subprime loans that normally you know don't don't get approved. Uh, I honestly I think honestly I think the con. Let me back up though. I think the concept is perfect. It's just um, they can't sell new cars. That is the only thing that I think they're you know that's lacking on their side. Because yeah, they're not sense. they're not a they're not directly connected to a manufacturer, so they can only do uh, pre-owned vehicles.
0: Um, okay,
1: I think their I mean, process is the closest thing you can that we have right now to a online buying experience.
0: Yeah, no, I would I would agree, and let me even back up real quickly because. My, my car buying journey, I would say, started with me looking at certain brands that I had known because my parents had them, right? Like, I'm currently looking at, like, a BMW because I, as I grew up, my parents had a 5 Series. My mom drives a Benz, so I immediately started looking at Benzes and, like, you know, I want to get a luxury car, but I, quite frankly, didn't even know where to start in terms of it, and I just went to, like, cars.com and just kind of being naive about it and Real, real honestly, like the reason I haven't pulled the trigger yet is because I'm not confident in myself enough to go make the right decision for myself, if you get what I'm saying. And I think that this is true along a lot of millennials, just not with just cars, but any type of big purchase, right? We always have that kind of doubt around ourselves that like, I don't know if I'm making the right decision. Like I might need a little bit of validation and all those different things. But in terms of like the car buying process for myself and other millennials, where would you start, and then how, what would that journey look like as you gear up to get ready to buy a car and then actually
1: make that purchase? Well, well, first, I'd say, you know, you always, I mean, statistically, I mean, 88% of buyers still won't buy a car without first test driving it. So I would always yeah. say test drive the car. Go go test drive them. You, you, salesmen are going to get frustrated with you. Because you know you might just want to sit there and test drive a vehicle, but you go out there, put your hands on a car, you know, actually see yourself in it. Because it's honestly, it's a big investment. It's one, it's the number two investment you'll ever make besides owning a home. Um, yes. So don't and and definitely don't don't get so caught up in rebates and the deals that you are, you quote unquote deals that you're seeing. Um, Definitely do your research. Definitely research, you know, is this the car? Do I want to drive? If I want to drive this car for six years, you know, is this the car for me? You know, do I want to drive this car for three years? You know, definitely go through the process of what is the car for? You know, why are you doing it? What's your budget? What do you absolutely need and then from there, you should be able to, you know, create a list of of different vehicles, and then and then start doing the, you know, the pricing out is is my is my uh, advice.
0: Okay, so go test drive it. Start thinking about your budget. Do you think about insurance in that time while you're also kind of thinking about like how much you're going to be paying monthly?
1: Oh yeah, I, that's another a big thing that I was going to actually talk about is. Definitely figure out what the insurance is before you go to actually purchase the vehicle, because I see that a lot, um, especially among the millennials, when when the younger buyers are coming in recently, is they get all excited about their car purchase and they haven't even you know they haven't even gone online to shop insurance, and then they make yeah. the call to buy insurance while they're in the dealership, and they find out the insurance on that car is three hundred dollars. And they go, oh, wait, I can't buy this car (laughs) because that's that's $800 in combined payments. And it's like, oh, no, why didn't you, you know, figure that out before you got here? So I've seen deals blow up because of insurance payments.
0: That makes a lot of sense as I started shopping for insurance last night and realized how expensive it gets, you know. And when I think about, like, looking at cars and understanding their their price and their value – like, I've been looking across Cars.com, CarMax, Carvana, just shopping around to see, I mean, different dealerships, too, just to see kind of, like, what the fluctuation in prices are, you know? And, you know, they vary between, call it, like, anywhere between one to $5,000, and I'm just kind of calling that out there. Like, it's they vary, definitely. But around the negotiation stage, what would you say is your advice in terms of, like, how to go about the negotiation? What do you think about? Like, what do you take into consideration? Because when I look at a car and I see, call it like a twenty-five thousand dollar car, I automatically think like, oh, well, I could get them down to probably like twenty-two, and I, that's an arbitrary number. Like, I made that up in my head. I've kind of convinced myself that I could at least get anybody to come down three thousand dollars when I haven't done it on my own before. Um, so, like, how would you go about one thinking about the negotiation, and two, when you actually get into that negotiation, what would you kind of recommend to to say to do or like what are some things that you've seen that that have gone wrong in negotiations too
1: well the whole negotiation thing it goes back to the the mistrust that has been built up over the years because and the more and more we advance forward the more there really is no there's less and less room for negotiation especially in dealers that are becoming a one sticker you know, one sticker, this is the price dealer. And, and I think those dealerships are the ones that are leading the way to the future. Whereas okay. the dealerships who do still haggle, um, it they are very old school. Um, I would definitely okay. be careful. I would do my research before I go to the dealership. I would definitely recommend if you want the best price, become an online customer. So that means you know it is annoying. You are going to get a lot of phone calls, emails, such and such, from the dealership. But go on, fill out the information to get the best online price because that at that price you're normally only about a thousand over invoice. So okay. I mean that that's really low. Um, also, just be um, just be aware of how much the cars are actually worth. Take into a take into account the rebates and and the residual values as well. So if you okay. have a car... And, and, and also, when you're going in there, um, yeah, sometimes cars are marked up. but take in, t- Just take into a, account as well that this is the only industry besides... You know, besides the real estate industry where you can go in and tell someone that their product is not worth what they're listing it as. So, so that's another thing that I, I think people they kind of get too hyped up over that where they can go in and, and say, Oh, you listed at 25. I'm going to offer you 21. So yeah, because mm-hmm. there is that kind of ego factor. Cause you see some people who come in and, and just negotiate for sport. And then you see the people yeah. who are actually looking for a good deal and, and slowly the industry is moving away from that. And I think that's just going to make everybody, everybody's life easier when you come yeah, in no, and I, see a price.
0: I I agree wholeheartedly that it'll make everything easier, right? Like, especially us millennials, we like to have, like you said, that instant gratification. And then one thing we also think, think of is, like, we take every price that we see literally without actually taking into account taxes and all those different things. And hearing you say this is fantastic because now it's going to shape my car looking a little bit more because I think – I've gotten out of my budget a little bit, right? As I've looked at these, and I'm like, you know what? I can go get that car because if I can negotiate them down like another two to three thousand dollars, then shoot, like I am right on budget. And I'm rocking and rolling, but it's going to make me look at it from a more realistic standpoint to say, hey, this is what I believe. Like this is my budget. First off, X amount of dollars. This is how much I'm willing to spend on my car plus insurance, and then. Validating that by going back and looking at the cars and saying yeah if this car is listed for $18,000 then I'm, I'm willing to go pay that 18000 because that's exactly what I should be I should have that trust in the dealership that they're going to do that plus they might not negotiate with me as much as possible now considering that the car buying industry is moving more towards like you said that consumer centric model to where they're going to be like this is the sticker price and this is quite frankly it guys like we you should trust us this is the value right.
1: Right, and I still think that it's going to take more time for the consumer to truly trust it again, but at the end of the day i mean the the more dealerships move towards that, the easier the process will be get going and I mean even also with the new you know installment of f you know digital f and i or virtual f and i where you can you can do your f and i paperwork virtually before you get there with a virtual um insurance, uh, F&I agent, and that's streamlining the process even more. Um, oh, yeah. So that so the more and more – and it's it's more of the, the – the dealers won't change until the consumer makes them change. That's the thing that's, that's going to be big as well. Um, the ones that are stuck in their ways, you know, because they are – they do have the – there is still that uneducated buyer out there. They're very rare yeah. these days but but they still are out there um, that are you know for you know a lack of better term getting screwed over on certain
0: yeah you know, certain
1: purchases and and that's and it's and it's when they continue to do that to the uneducated buyer that it continues to build that mistrust with the educated buyer because I mean se- I mean seventy nine percent of millennials these days, Want to learn the whole buying process before they go in. They want to know everything there is to know, and trust me, they know. Most of millennials that come in have all their all the bullets in the gun ready. When you have it, you know you go pitch it to them. They have an objection because they know they've studied it. You know they've they have boiled it down to these are two dealerships I'm going to go to. If one doesn't work, I'll go to my second one. But hopefully, I can get it done at this first one. Because at yeah. the end of the day, why why go to five dealerships when everything's online?
0: Exactly. Like, you know, what's funny is as I've, you know, when I went back home to Atlanta for Christmas and I was visiting with my parents and my dad even is starting to move more towards that like millennial way of car buying. And I thought it was so funny. Like he was talking to one of the people, at, we were at uh, United BMW and they were, and he was like, listen, I communicate through email. If you guys give me a call, you will lose a sale. I promise. And I've done all the research. I just want to sit in the car. I want to test drive it. And that's all it is. And the person who allowed us to test drive was more interested in the conversation that we were having in the car than actually test driving the car. And it threw my dad for the biggest loop in the world. And when we got out of that car and got back in, in our car to drive home, he was like, yeah, not buying from them, terrible experience. And I only got to drive the car for about, five minutes. No way. And I was like, dang, you made that decision that quick. And he was like, yeah, man, like to me, the experience is what is really what, what makes it plus getting the right cost and getting the right or getting the right price and making sure that insurance plays into it. But he wanted to have such a good car buying experience. He only wanted to go to the dealership once and be done. And right. like, I think about, you know, back when I was car shopping with him in like middle school, we used to go to like eight or nine dealerships and it was a full day thing. So to your point, it's like we all, millennials, Gen Z, Gen X, everybody is looking for a new streamlined process. And it sounds like dealerships are starting to get to that place because, again, to your point, the consumer is actually finally making the, the dealership and the dealers change because they lose sales so quickly now, it sounds like.
1: Right. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. The, the number has slowly declined, but... 54% of consumers, like like your dad, will buy just based off their preferred experience. So, I mean, and, and that's over low, the lowest price. So, I mean, it's almost split down the middle of a 50-50 price buyer to experience buyer these days. But at the same time, I, I totally understand what your dad's, you know, coming from. And, you know, if you're going to go through this lengthy process, at least make it, you know, Give me a good experience. Make me happy. Make me feel good about buying this car. You know, don't don't give me a five-minute test drive. Let me, you know, kick the tires. Let me, you know, go zero to sixty. You know, make the experience worth my time. Because that's the the biggest thing about the car buying process. Is yeah, it might it costs money, but it costs time, and time is money. So you're you're basically paying twice.
0: Oh yeah, no you're. You're absolutely right. And one thing I realized is I've been, I've only test driven a couple cars, and I and I should I'm going to go out and test drive more. But when I was at like the BMW dealership out here in Seattle, I met this guy, and he was really old school. I could tell as he was talking about the beauty of the BMW and all these different things, and I was just kind of rolling my eyes because I knew all of those things about it already, right? I'd been a BMW consumer, even though I didn't buy it like my parents did. But when we got back after the test drive, he was like. All right, so let's like start get that getting down to business and start getting ready to buy this. And I was like, dude, I'm not, I'm not ready to buy yet. Like I wanted to test drive it. I want to just think about it a little bit. Like I have a, a you know, I have time until I actually go out and buy it. And this guy was trying to push me to go to the bank. He was like, you should go take out a loan now. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? Screw you. I want a different salesman. And I want a different salesman now. And. He was so taken back by it. And I, I'm assuming that it was because of a more old school way, but I ended up getting out to walk That is, that is so old school.
1: Like, oh, that it was dumb. bad. And I was like, "Yeah."
0: oh, Brock, I'm, I'm telling you, bro, like I, I asked for a different, I literally got up, walked out of his office and was like, will somebody else actually tell me about a car without pushing me to actually buy one? And I kid you not, five people jumped the gun and I looked at this one guy who was younger because... It made me feel a lot more comfortable being around him, knowing that he probably knew how to connect with me a little bit more. And we sat down and had a good conversation. He was like, listen, man, like, I'm not going to heckle you about this. I'm not going to do anything. Like, if you're interested in a BMW, then let's let's get the right BMW for you, right? A three-series might not be the right one, but let's look at a four-series Grand Coupe. You said you want a sedan. You said you want something with all-wheel drive. And what really clicked with me was the fact that he listened, and he wasn't being so pushy, and That was a great experience. That's going to drive me back. I'm going back to go test drive cars there this weekend. But I called my man Ray and was like, "Ray, what days are you working? I'll make sure that I'm there on one of those mornings because I want to test drive some more cars. And I'm actually getting a lot more serious about it now. So can we at least sit down and have a conversation? And for me, that car buying experience with him and that I'm I'm on right now is head over heels over the person who's pushing me. Am I? My point in saying is that to your your point, it's all about the 50-50, right? It's either cost or experienced buyers. And to everyone that's listening to this podcast today, you get to pick and choose what matters to you more. And to me, the experience of buying a car means more just because I would say, like, that's kind of the the shopper that I am. And you get to go and be either pushed to buy a car, but you have the choice to leave every single time, right? Like, no one's going to force you to make that purchase. Especially if it's only if it's the one that's like low cost.
1: Oh no, I and I totally understand that. I mean, just from my quick, you know, five months of being in the retail side, I have a I have a very hard time pushing uh, to the amount of they want you to push a customer. Um, I, I'm definitely a, a component and a or a proponent for. Um, just letting the customer, you know, talk. You know, let them have their experience because honestly, the con the consumer probably knows a lot more than the salesman these days. And the salesman knows everything there is to know about that car. But trust me, the consumer comes in ready to- ready to go. I- and I've told most buyers, you probably know more about this car than I do. And you know, I know everything there is to know about this car. And and the That's worst thing. And, and in my in my experience, and from what I've always thought, the worst thing you can do is is sit there and push, push, push. Because like you said, you got up and you you didn't want even you didn't even want to buy a car anymore. You kind of just wanted to leave. Because yeah, it's it's it, it, it's uncomfortable, and and that's the old school way. That that is the way that is slowly being phased out. Yeah, we everybody wow. wants to sell a car. You know that's the purpose. You want to sell a car, but there's no need to sit there and twist their arm, hold them there. You know, try to you know push them into making a purchase. That the other thing I see is we push these consume. We I shouldn't say we, but the the industry pushes these buyers into buying sometimes, and they feel pressured, and they end up in the wrong car, or they end up in the wrong loan, and then. You know, we I've seen so many repos and, and voluntary repos just because of the pushiness. When everyone's life would be so much easier, and everyone would be you know so much more happy with their cars if you know it was if, if it was a little less um, pushy, definitely.
0: Absolutely, that's that's really good to hear too. And one thing I heard you talk about was loans, and I think that that's very important to talk about too, right? Because you could either go to a bank and get a loan. All like almost all dealerships that I know of offer loans as well. Typically at a really uh, at a relatively good rate too. I would say. Um,
1: how should yeah the loans the loans yeah. are a tricky thing um, because definitely especially being a first time buyer, I would say loans are can be confusing. The whole finance part can be a little confusing, but I mean I wouldn't get too frightened by everything. It's easy. If you can get your financing through your bank, I would highly recommend going through your bank, okay. getting a draft or, you know, getting approved free approval before coming. If not, okay. if you want to just see what the best, if you want to see what the best rate you can get, most dealerships do do business with over 50 lenders. Um, okay. They are going to try and get you the best rate, but something I'd say for first time millennial buyers is don't get, Frustrated with being asked for a co signer. That doesn't mean that, that that's no insult to you. It's just that the banks are kind of, you know, it, especially if you haven't built any credit yet. Now, if you built yeah. credit, that's a different story. But if you're a first time buyer with zero credit, don't be insulted when they ask you for a, uh, a co signer because really that's it's how everybody has to go and honestly getting a co-signer isn't a sign of weakness it's going to get you the better interest rate as well and
0: yeah and keep on
1: and and that, no that that was kind of the end of that thought just definitely yeah, no, I, definitely the interest cuz the the main thing also is the, the I mean the government has raised the the fed has raised the interest rates six times in the last year so the days of zero percent, the days of zero point nine, the days of one point nine are dwindling. So if you can get in that in that range with special financing, which is normally through the manufacturer, um, definitely take that advantage. But don't get don't go in there and say I only I only do zero percent. That's not a negotiable thing anymore. That's because if you don't qualify for a low interest rate, it's it's not like they can. Clap their hands and make a bank, in you know, make a bank finance you at zero percent when they won't even finance an 800 credit score at zero percent. So that's that's another thing I'd I'd give advice to.
0: What would you say is a good interest rate to get in today's market? Would you say like, because I've seen anywhere between like, call it like 5.8 to like 11.8, and and interest rate and, and correct me if I'm wrong. The way that I understand it is that every year that you have, like that rate, it's added on at the end of that. So if, say, it's the 10% and you're paying 100 bucks per month, once your first year is up, they add that 10% on, so now you're paying $110, right? And now that's a very low car payment, um, but that's just using easy numbers.
1: Correct. No, correct. That's, that's how it works. Um, I'd say the, the lowest interest rate I've, I've seen some people get a, approved for right now is out, outside of the special financing that manufacturers offer on certain um, cars um, from a bank. It's probably around 3.9, 3.97. Um, but it all, it all matters. There's another thing that you have to take into account with banks and financing is uh, the, the actual car that you are buying. It's very hard to okay. get a low interest rate on a pre-owned car and especially an older pre-owned car. Normally the banks don't like financing anything uh, older than a 2015 at this point um, just okay. because it's, it's they're normally going to be higher mileage uh, outside of their warranties and, you know, older. So if you're looking for a pre-owned car, I would always recommend staying within four to five years of the current year. Just because those are the cars that are normally still inside of a factory warranty or or have some type of warranty left on them, which banks find appealing. Um, For Toyota, Toyota, I know they do their certified pre-owned cars. Banks do find Mm -hmm. those very appealing, um, and they will finance them at lower interest rates, uh, also depending on their credit score.
0: Okay. So an important question to ask. Like when you're going to the dealership, would be is it still under factory warranty? Is that is that a fair fair assumption?
1: Uh, if 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 that's, I would definitely ask what what their warranties are, because um, every okay. dealership is actually different. That's another thing, um, and also manufacturers have different warranties as well. Um, normally, a pre-owned vehicle, if it's three years outside of its original uh, purchase date. Um, don't carry any more uh, bumper-to-bumper warranties, but they might carry a certified pre-owned warranty or the dealership might add on their own style of warranty to it. But definitely ask which warranties you're getting in your purchase because in the back end, when you go through finance, you always have the opportunity to buy extended warranties and such, but always try to see how many warranties you're getting on the initial purchase.
0: Okay, that's... Man, I need to write that down because that's something I need to do fast. Because I was always I was always under the impression that almost every dealership had like a four it was like forty thousand miles or four year warranty like you know like the either or. But I gotta do my research and also ask the question like what what warranties would I get with this right because right I'm to buy like my goal is to buy a luxury car and with that
1: comes. High maintenance costs, obviously. Yes, exactly. I was actually going to tell you, uh, with the BMWs, you know, banks are actually a little less – they're a little – banks are always a little iffy on financing German-made vehicles um, just because they are are prone to high maintenance and they don't always carry the best warranties. I would definitely, definitely recommend with a BMW – uh, looking at what type of extended warranties they offer and the maintenance programs, um, just because, okay. you know, you never know what's going to happen.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, blow, blow a hose in your engine, oil changes, like all of that stuff adds up in the year. And, you know, to your point, it's like you want to be able to save as much money as possible on all of that when you're spending so much on your car already. So do you have – I know you're a Toyota guy but do you have any, like, brands that you would say are better for financing or better just in general in terms of, like, maintenance? Like, I've heard that Lexuses are great to have because they're Toyotas,
1: right? Right. I think Toyotas. Like, yeah, right. So Lexus, Lexus, is Toy, Lexus is Toyota's luxury brand. Uh, Acura is Honda's luxury brand, so forth. And, and you know, there's, it, you'd be surprised if you went out and Googled who owns who. Um, yeah there's a lot of overlap but in my opinion um, it all it all matters really on on what you're using the car for Um, and and definitely also I'd, I'd go into account look up look up the residual values on cars because that is huge too when you're picking a vehicle because when you're done with that vehicle you definitely don't want to be buried in negative equity um, which kind of brings me to my, my, other, my other point when you're also looking at a car. Definitely don't be afraid of leasing. If you're a leasing candidate, mm-hmm. go for it. There's, no, there's, there's this false taboo of leasing that you don't own your vehicle. Um, but what I, what I always say to that is you technically don't ever own your vehicle, until you have the title in your hand, if you're financing it. So yeah, why would you ever want to own a depreciating a, a depreciating asset that you might you're just going to turn in in three years and and owe money on? Uh, basically, I'd I'd say it to you this way: um, if if you were given the opportunity to uh, own a home or rent a home, but they told you that the home was going to depreciate. Uh, by 25% in the first three years of you owning it, would you ever actually want to own a, a home, or would you then want to rent it? So that, that's, that's that's just my kind of counter to the the leasing taboo.
0: No, that's smart. I mean, you're you're making me think now, because <laughs> like. <laughs> leasing isn't that bad of an option is, and is insurance like i just don't know a lot about leasing my parents actually leased my first car and then leased to own it so they ended up buying it after but would you say right. that insurance is better on a lease right like because lease monthly payments might be a little bit higher than it would be if you were to you know quote unquote finance it and, and like what people believe to be owning it but with, like well actually it's, it's the opposite
1: it's the opposite. The lease payments are actually always going to be lower than a financing pay- payment, uh, and there's all there's always actually uh, lease specials on certain cars too. Um, but basically, when you're leasing the vehicle, you're really only using you're only paying for the part of the vehicle you're using, and that's the first three years of its life. And then when wow. you turn it in, nothing is following you. No negative equity is yeah. following you at all. So if you if you do yeah. drive between twelve thousand to eight to eighteen thousand miles a year, you're 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 a lease candidate, and just think about it you get to turn in that car at the end of the three years to get a new one.
0: That's smart. That's that's so valid because like, you know, I've had buddies who are like, well, why don't you just look into leasing, or why don't you look into doing this? And I'm always like, eh. you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want to like. Honestly, I don't know what was driving me away from leasing, but now that I hear, like, I'm going to have to pay a monthly payment regardless, right? Um, Right. And just being able to, like, turn it in. All the maintenance costs are already taken into account when you lease, correct? Correct. They take it back to the dealership. They take care of the oil. They take care of – I don't know if they take care of – like, all that stuff. you know? And it's kind of like an all-inclusive cost that you're paying monthly, right?
1: Correct. Yep. Normally, all leases – because the, the life of the lease is actually the life of the – in. let me slow down. The life of the lease is inside that three-year life of that initial warranty. So the whole time you have the lease, it's inside of the warranty. So, yeah, everything is covered, uh, and then you also pick up the maintenance plan, um, depending on the make and model. Um, I know Toyota does the four years, 45,000 miles of maintenance. Uh, So, if you lease a vehicle, you still get that. So, you are, you know, all your maintenance is covered on top of that.
0: That's so smart. Like, you've really got me thinking now because I I need to kind of tune my car shopping a little bit better now because, like, I'm now thinking about do I lease or do I own, right? How long do I need to – do I want to hold on to that same model, make, car, all of that stuff? And then lastly thinking about too, like, do I actually want to have negative equity in a car? To your point, like the moment you drive it off the lot, it depreciates if you're going to buy it.
1: And Correct. a fifteen
0: thousand car automatically becomes a ten thousand dollar car. And I'm making
1: those numbers up. But it, it, it all point, depends like, on it all depends on the model of the car. I mean there there are some freaks out there like the Tacoma, the Toy the Toyota Tacoma. Um, residual value is 79% after three years. Um, oh, wow. Other makes and models, such as the, uh, I think that the F-150 is is up there too in the 60s percentage of uh, residual value. So I mean there are vehicles out there that hold their their value, and those okay. cars I, I see as investments. Like like currently I drive a Forerunner, and the residual value on a Forerunner is in the 70s as well. So, at, and, and I'm leasing it, but at the end of it, at the end of the lease, I'm, I'm positive to turning it in um, early because the residual value is so high that I could turn it in six months early and still be positive with the payments, if that makes okay. sense. Um,
0: it, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. So you, you've talked about residual value. How do you calculate that? Or is there like a website that we can go to, to to help us calculate that i'm just because i want to look at that and understand kind of like where i'm at in terms of the payments right like to your point like you could turn your forerunner right and still get ahead of your payments or would still be above like where your payments would be equity wise so i'm curious around like how would i actually get down to that residual value that's going to end up helping me make that car car decision
1: uh, so there's there's websites that list it like Forbes.com always does some reviews on the top ten, you know residualized cars. Um, KBB Kelly Blue Book is always a great resource. Um, I would uh, I would caution though, um, Kelly Blue Book, Black Book, NADA, they're all great resources, but they're only resources. They're they're good leverage to getting a better price, and they're good for researching. But don't yeah definitely don't go into a dealership and start saying, you know, this is what Kelly Blue Book she says the price should be, because your number one answer is going to be, well, is Kelly Blue Book selling you the car? So you know they're they're great they're great resources and they do they do wonders for the consumer and the buyer and everybody, but definitely. Know when it's, you know, know know the line between research and reality. Um, But you can definitely figure out which cars are the the top, um, you know, resale values. I mean, I I have the list right here, actually. I just pulled it up. Um, Number one is the Tacoma. Number two is the Wrangler. Number three is the Tundra. Number four is the GMC Sierra. Number five is the 4Runner. Number six is the Silverado. Number seven is the Honda Ridgeline. Number eight is the Colorado and number nine is the any Ford F series. Oh, number ten is wow. now the Porsche. Yeah, I didn't know the Porsche. Wow. Jumped up there.
0: Okay. That's man, that's this is awesome. I'm really enjoying this conversation because I'm learning so much and I know everybody else is too. And my last, last, last question for you, I promise I'll stop I'll stop bothering you and picking your brain on this one, but trade ins, <laughs> right? So I got a car. In. 2011 Nissan Altima Coupe. That's my baby. I've put every single mile on her. Um, but as I've gone to, like, oh, so I've, I've used to Google as my resource, and I've, I've found, like, a you know, you get the instant cash offer, and they also tell you, like, the value of your car. But what would you do in order to get, call it the best and most fair price for your car? Because everybody trading in their car is going to want to get the most they can for the car. But how do you go about that in, like, Correct. A, in, a, in a good way?
1: Well, first of all, you you just gave me a headache by saying you had an Altima, Um, but (laughs) and and, and let me let me explain that I have nothing wrong with a Nissan. It's just, uh, oh, jeez, have I seen so much trouble with those Altimas lately? Just because of this is then this this kind of ties into the whole trade-in thing. Is you have to be careful with when you buy a car definitely be careful with how much they're discounting because it might sound all great when, you know, you think you're buying a $30,000 Ultima and you think you're getting this great deal that they've knocked it down to 20 when it all reality is they marked it up to 30 so that they could knock it down back to what it's worth so that you would buy yeah. it thinking it's a great deal. And I've seen it so much with, with certain sedans out there that this is a tactic of the rebates. And that's why, I'll tell you, one of the reasons why Honda and, you know, the luxury market and and Toyotas hold their value so well is you don't see so much discount. So that's when you come back in trying to trade the vehicle in and they're like, yeah, so it's worth like, you know, 10 grand. And you're like, what? I paid 30 for this. (laughs) What are you talking about? And, and then you realize that the the fair value of that car was actually twenty when it started, and then you drove it off a lot, and now you've put miles on it. Like, just be careful with your buying because sometimes the the best deals don't always end up being deals. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll just use a, I'll use a quick story just to to make it to try and make it uh, more. Uh, understandable. Um, I have yeah. a, a a customer friend uh, who had come in. They got an amazing deal on an Altima 2018 Altima. Um, they got zero percent everything on it. Uh, they paid thirty one thousand wow. for it. Thirty one thousand. Uh, it's worth right now about twelve to fifteen thousand oh, dollars. And this is man. a year. This is a year after purchasing it. So they're they're about anywhere between because they owe about twenty seven still on it. So they're about twelve to fourteen thousand dollars. Yeah, in, in, in debt or not debt, but negative in the negative. Yeah, negative equity. And, and right, and they wanna and they wanna flip it, and they and they just can't because they're buried in it. And, and, and that's another case of I had to explain to them, hey, that you know, I know it sounded like a great deal when you bought it and they gave you all these discounts and rebates and stuff, but you got to look at the, the value of in the residual percentages as well because a year later, it's not, all of a sudden, it's not a great deal. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: you're, you're, you're stuck.
1: But um, trade-ins, just always try to get, you know, which uh, – as long as you keep your car in in clean shape, you know, you, you follow the maintenance and, you know, everything's working on it. And, and, also you always got to take into a, you know, take into mind the mileage. If you got 150,000 miles on your car, you're not going to get top, you know, you're not going to get the top of the barrel uh, value for that car that Kelly Blue Book says. Now, if you have, you know, low mileage on your car, yeah, you you should always go in and fight for the top value of what Kelly Blue Book or Black Book or NADA says. But you got to be realistic. You, you got to yeah. really be realistic with what you're looking at. Absolutely. Like and, I and to your point, it's like, keep going. Keep going. Like, I, I'll, I'll use another, you know, quick, uh, quick little scenario. I had a guy come in with an 06, you know, Honda Accord, yeah it was in perfect condition. I open up the door and there's something growing out of the seat and he's got a barbecue sauce, uh pool in the passenger floor mat. And I mean, this oh. thing was awful. And he says, it's perfect, right? It's perfect. I should get full, full, <laughs> full, you know, full what I want for this. And I'm like, "Ah." Oh. and he, and you know, he looked at me square and he was being serious and you just gotta be like, Oh man, I'm sorry. But I mean, just just all jokes aside, just you got to be realistic. Get get what yeah, it worth, but be realistic.
0: And and like you said earlier, use Kelly Blue Book and Black Book and NABA as a resource. Use it as a tool. Use it something that's like guiding you to where you got to, you know that that price that you want to negotiate. And like you said, be realistic. If I have you know stains in the back and and the interior needs to be redone, and there's Chips on the outside and all that stuff like that, or mini dents and all those things, like, those also have to be taken into account because those are repairs that I'm assuming the dealer is going to have to make before they even put the car on the lot to sell it.
1: Correct. And and sometimes sometimes dealers aren't even going to make a profit off your trade-in. Uh, if your trade-in isn't even up to, you know, if, it, if they run it through their shop and they find it not even worth it to repair it or bring it back, they're just going to straight auction it, which they might get what they, you know, what they gave you for it, but more than likely they don't. So, okay. If it's a perfect trade in, oh, they'll give you, they'll give you full value all day because they know they'll flip it. Because pre-owned cars are, you know, pre-owned cars are a dime a dozen being in perfect condition.
0: Absolutely. That's man. That's so smart. And this was rock. Honestly, man, like one of the best podcasts I've had, like, This was so insightful. I learned so much. And I know so many people are out there like begging for this type of information. So with like all of that, I have to say, thank you so much because now I'm thinking about car buying differently. I know a lot of other people are going to be thinking about car buying differently too. And this is all great. Like I might shoot, I might be leasing a car at the end of next month.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, and, 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 and also don't, uh, that's, I'm a little biased towards leasing just cause um, I, I've, I've leased my cars all my whole life. And, and just, my dad's also the king of leasing. I, I shouldn't say king of leasing, but he's, he's uh that's what he made his career on uh, building leasing yeah. programs and, and stuff for uh, Southeast Toyota finance. And now he, he does totally different stuff now, but I mean, he, he, he convinced me that leasing was the way to go when I was two years old, probably. so um, I'm probably brainwashed, but I mean uh, again if there's a, there's probably a lot more a lot more questions and objections to it. you know I would always love to you know if anyone has any questions, I'm always open to you know explaining stuff. Um, but uh, oh yeah one one more thing for sure though is 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 don't don't go into a dealership and think that you're going to negotiate in a, like a, the best example I have is a guy came in and, and tried to negotiate a, you know, $390 payment on a $50,000 car. And it's just <laughs> like, it's, it, the math doesn't work out. It's just, I, I know it seemed possible a few years ago, but you know, just, it's not, it, it, it actually, it's possible with a lease. It is. It's possible if you lease it.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah. It, you know, it's possible.
0: That's funny. Because like you said, like, it's you only got the car for three years. You're putting only a certain uh, mileage on it. You're going to take care of it because you have, obviously, the warranty underneath it. Like, that's smart. So you can negotiate a lease price a little bit, right? Like, it, it's up for negotiation at least a little bit is what I'm hearing. It
1: le- yeah, no, exactly. You can negotiate anything right now, unless it's unless it's also do your also do your research on the dealership. If like I said before, if it's a one, if it's a one pay, you know, this is a sticker. This is the price we're doing. Um, payments are always kind of negotiable, but that's that's flexible. And um, I'm sorry, that's uh, flexing the you know payment uh, duration and down payment that's where you start negotiating at those type of dealerships. But I mean, if it's a dealership that negotiates price, go on, go in and, you know, have fun, have fun. Okay.
0: Okay. I love this. I absolutely love this. This is great, man. Like I can't. Again, Brock, thank you for coming on the show. And y'all remember, this is your journey. However you want to go about buying a car, or leasing a car, or owning a car, it's all got to layer into your priorities. And like Brock said, be educated, understand, and know exactly what is going to be going on in that negotiation so that way you feel like you are as well prepared as possible to not get, I'm not going to say screwed over, because car car salesmen aren't trying to screw you over. They're just trying to get the best deal for themselves, and I'm here to help you get the best deal for yourself. So with all this being said... Go out there, it's winning Wednesday, get those W's, get those damn dubs, win today, and y'all, like I always like to end every episode now, go out and do something nice for somebody today. And you know what, I want to hear from you. Reach out, whether it be Instagram, email, all that fun stuff, reach out to me, get in contact with me. I want to hear your stories about how you're making somebody's day better and how you're becoming an even better person day in and day out. Our website is brand Banking new. It got a complete look over, and I am proud to say that it looks pretty damn good. So head over to the website, it'smillennialtalk.com. Like just click around in it, check out some blog posts. We got a lot of new blogs coming up. We also have a newsletter that'll be coming out here soon. Be on the lookout for that. We're going to have a huge pop-up on the website. Just enter your email, and the next thing you know, you'll be the first person to hear about exclusive content, about exclusive interviews. You might even get some exclusive interviews that won't even be be posted here on the podcast. Who knows? That's for you to find out. So, guys, head over to itsmillennialtalk.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at underscore way and facebook.com slash itsmillennialtalk. Go out there, win today, and let's get this bread. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to follow our blog at itsmillennialtalk.com. Follow us on social media at underscore way on Instagram and Twitter.